Our reading today is found in John 11, and we're going to read verses 1 through 44, probably the longest passage we've ever read at City Church, and it also includes the shortest verse in the Bible. So <laughs> it says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha, who was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. 
When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped up with cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful that uh, you are a God who performs miraculous deeds. You know, the miraculous is around us all the time. We just often miss it. And Father, it takes stories like this to remind us that you are the miracle worker. So Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see your greatness all around us, that you would open your eyes ultimately to see the greatness of the gospel here this morning as we look at this story. In Christ's name, amen. If you've been with us the the past couple weeks uh, throughout uh, this Lenten season that we've been celebrating, you'll know that uh, we've intentionally tried to look with fresh eyes at the person of Jesus Christ, a person who's often misunderstood, a person who uh, people have many opinions about. So what we've tried to do is revisit him. And we've tried to look at him through a specific lens, and that is the lens of the miracles in which he performed when he was here on this earth. And we've seen that there's been really two purposes to these miracles. One, the miracles brought glory to God. They brought praise to God. And second, they were intended to bring belief, saving belief to those people who witnessed them. Yet what you constantly see all throughout the Gospels is that even the folks around Jesus who saw so many miracles they still struggled to believe Jesus and to really and truly understand why he came here. You know, sometimes we, we look back at them and we're kind of hard on them. We, we have a chronological snobbery because we've read the entire Bible and we know the end of the story. So we look at them and we wonder why they were constantly confused with Jesus and constantly asking him really stupid questions about what he was here to do. Even at the very end of his life, after they'd been with him for three years, they were still asking him questions that really seemed to totally miss the mark of everything Jesus had been saying up to that point, revealing that they really had no clue what was actually going on in the life of Jesus. And even after Jesus' death and his resurrection and his ascension back into heaven, you see these first followers of Jesus Christ still wondering what they're supposed to do. Still trying to figure out what exactly just happened. Scratching their heads, wondering what this thing that they just witnessed was really all about. And the reality is, if you study church history, you'll know it took centuries and centuries for people to start to piece together the full meaning about who Jesus was and what he came to do. In fact, if you look at church history, it took them almost four centuries and several councils to really figure out who Jesus was. And at the end of those four centuries, they came up with a really uh, fancy theological term that they used to describe Jesus. And the fancy theological term they used was called the hypostatic union. And if you translate that into regular English, it means this. It means Jesus was simultaneously at the same time fully God and also at the same time he was fully man. Now, if you're sitting here trying to figure that out and make sense of it in your head, don't. 
because you never will. J.I. Packer said that, that the hypostatic union or this understanding of Jesus is really two mysteries for the price of one. But the reality also is that it is actually at the core of what it means to truly believe in Jesus, that he was both fully man and fully God. And perhaps no miracle that Jesus performed better demonstrates these two aspects of his nature than the miracle in which we just read. The first thing we see is that, that, is that this miracle shows us that Jesus was fully man. Jesus was fully man. Because immediately as we read the story, we notice something that is very simple, but we, that often escapes us at the same time. And that is something very simple, that Jesus had friends. If you look at verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. The story opens with Jesus teaching and messengers come to Jesus to tell him that one of his really good friends, Lazarus, has taken ill. And what John does is he makes a point to help us to see that Jesus was close with Lazarus. And he was close with his family, Mary and Martha. He loves them in a very unique or different way because they were his close friends. These people knew Jesus uniquely. They understood Jesus uniquely. But they also knew that Jesus understood and loved them in really unique ways too. They were just simple, close friends. But then something really tragic happens in this friendship. And in the context of this tragedy, we also see another aspect of Jesus's humanity. And that is that Jesus experienced the loss of death. It says in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. You see, several days later, Jesus travels to Bethany in order to to visit with Lazarus and visit with this family. But of course, we know from the story that Jesus knows that the most tragic thing actually did happen and that his friend Lazarus had died. Now, Jewish culture had a very unique way of honoring and uh, uh, celebrating even uh, the death of someone in their culture. The body would actually be laid in the tomb almost immediately. So someone would die and they would almost immediately take them to the tomb and roll the stone over the tomb. The byproduct of this is some people weren't really dead and sometimes they were actually buried alive. So for three days, what would happen is there would be a special category of weeping that would happen after a death. And those three days were in a larger seven-day period of mourning. After that seven-day period of mourning, there would be a 30-day period of lighter mourning to honor the death of someone who was loved. And people would travel from all over to visit uh, during this time period. They would travel all over to attend, and the whole town would be a part of this uh, funeral ceremony. And what our story tells us is that Jesus arrived at the most intense part of this mourning process 
because Lazarus had been dead for four days and the weeping and the mourning was at its peak at this moment. In fact, history tells us that sometimes actually extra mourners would be hired in order to supplement the mourners of the family. There was actually people out there whose job it was to be professional mourners. And the reason this was a job, because people believe that the louder the mourning, the louder the weeping, the louder the shrieking that came in these funerals, the greater honor would be paid to the person who was dead. So Jesus shows up at the point where the shrieking and the weeping was at a fever pitch, was at its loudest point. And our scripture tells us that in that moment, Jesus was deeply moved by everything that he was seeing. But the word here communicates something beyond just being moved. It communicates an intense sadness, but also a sadness that is mixed with anger at the fact that this is the way things are. Now, this is no doubt the first, not the first time that Jesus had experienced the loss of death in his life. I don't know if you ever realized, but as you get later on in the Gospels, uh, Joseph, Jesus' uh, earthly father, is, is strangely absent. And most people believe that that was because at some point during Jesus' teenage years or early adult years, Joseph passed away. So Jesus was well acquainted with the loss of death. He was first well acquainted with the loss of his earthly father, Joseph, and now he experiences the death of one of his closest friends. But Jesus' humanity is, is also demonstrated in another way. And we see that in this passage because we see that Jesus wept. He was full of emotion. As Emily said, every kid's favorite memory verse is in this narrative, and that is John 11.35. And it's every kid's favorite memory verse because it is the shortest. Because it says very profoundly that Jesus wept. He wept to such a degree that the Jews that were all around him that day looked on at this scene and said, See how much Jesus loved Lazarus. You know, a lot of people have have looked at this passage and they've looked at Jesus and they've wondered, why did Jesus cry? Why did he weep so uncontrollably if he knew that just moments later he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead? Why did he cry so profoundly? And I think part of our misunderstanding is misunderstanding what Jesus was actually crying about. He wasn't so much crying about the loss of Lazarus. Instead, he was weeping over the consequences of sin and its destructive nature. See, the gospel tells us that that this thing called death that we all will experience at some point in our lives is a result of sin. It has wreaked havoc in God's created order. And there is no more evidence of the destructive nature of sin than at a funeral. C.S. Lewis said, We follow one who stood and wept at the grave of Lazarus. Not surely because he was grieved that Mary and Martha wept and sorrowed for their lack of faith, though some thus interpret it. 
But because death, the punishment of sin is even more horrible in his eyes than it even is in ours. Now, maybe not to the same degree as Jesus, but we've been there before. We've seen the the destruction that sin has caused in this world. We've seen the, the broken nature of life that it introduced. We've felt the sting of death that is a byproduct of sin. And we view it just like Jesus does. We view it with this mix of intense sadness, but also anger. That this is the way our world is. We have this profound sense that this is not the way things ought to be. You see, Jesus felt this too, maybe even more than we do. He felt the pain and the sadness of each person that was mourning for Lazarus that day. He felt what C.S. Lewis said, that death is like an amputation. He felt the pain. He felt the sadness. He felt the anger that you and I at times feel. William Barclay said, God's heart is wrung with anguish over the anguish of his people. A couple of years ago, I guess it was almost two years ago, uh, I had the privilege of going to a a conference down at Hopkins. And some of you actually in this room uh, came with me. It was a a famous uh, evangelical speaker that travels around the world, a, a guy named Ravi Zacharias. And And uh, he was invited to come to Hopkins uh, to lecture on one question. And and the question was, why would God allow evil and suffering uh, in this world? And it it gained so much attention. Thousands and thousands of people actually came out uh, to hear him speak. They had to do overflow rooms and simulcasts in all sorts of different places just so they could hear uh, Ravi Zacharias speak on this topic. And I, and I went and I listened and, and he lectured for about an hour and a half on, on all the, the kind of intellectual and theological reasons in order to kind of answer this question. But the best part was, was what came after that. And there, uh, what came after that was a, a really uh, very interesting question and answer period. But I'll never forget one woman who answered a question at that conference. She literally hobbled up to the microphone. She, she hobbled up to the microphone and she said in a, in a very frail voice for thousands and thousands of people to hear, she looked up at the speaker and she said this. She said, a couple years ago, I prayed to God. And I prayed that God would make himself more present in my life. And she said, ever since I prayed that prayer, nothing but tragedy has happened to me. She said, my husband, uh, 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 my husband passed away. She said, I contracted a, a debilitating illness that has left me as a cripple. And she went on listing thing after thing after thing that happened to her that in her mind has been tragic and has destroyed her life. And at the very end of going through this laundry list, she looked up at the speaker and she said, I want you to tell me why God did this to me. The speaker kind of shifted in his chair a little bit, as you can imagine he would. And then he gave the best answer I think I've ever heard to questions like that. He said, I don't know. (laughs) But he didn't just stay there. He said, I don't know. 
But what I do know is this, that we serve a God who wept at the tomb of Lazarus. And that same God weeps with you in the tragedies of your life. You see, the Greeks believed that we serve a God who is passionless, a God who is stoic or doesn't feel emotion. For that. So for them to read this passage would have been scandalous. But what the scriptures tell us is that Jesus was fully, fully human, that he felt every range of emotion that you and I feel. So that when we pray to him, when we think of him, we don't pray and think to a God who is some sort of impassioned being. Instead, we pray to a God who intimately understands the deep emotions that we feel in our lives. You may be sitting here and you may be struggling with all sorts of things. You may be struggling with finances. Well, Jesus was born into poverty. He knows what it's like to struggle financially. You may be struggling with feeling successful professionally. Well, Jesus felt that too. You may be hurting over feeling misunderstood or rejected by other people. Jesus felt that. You may be dealing with the reality of life or the death of a lost one, of a loved one. Jesus felt that too. And this is the kind of God that we serve. A God who was fully human. But our passage also tells us that he was a, that Jesus was not just fully God or fully human, but he was also fully God. It says in verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then later on in verse 43, at the climax of our story, it says this. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Just a couple weeks ago, we, we watched one of my favorite childhood movies with my kids. And it, it's a movie called The Princess Bride. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. But uh, I won't try to spoil the movie for you. But, but what I will tell you, and this might be a spoiler, is that the main character in the movie dies. But he's still essential to the plot despite the fact that he dies. So all his friends realize that they need a miracle. So they go to a man in town whose name is Miracle Max. And Miracle Max is played by, by Billy Crystal in the story. So they bring, uh, they bring in the, the hero of the story and they lay him out in front of Billy Crystal. And he starts working on the body and he looks up to the friends and he says, Good news. This man is only mostly dead. He's not fully dead. Now, we laugh at that as a funny story, but it's not all that different from what the ancients thought in history. You see, John makes a point in telling us in the story that, that Lazarus had been dead for four days. And the reason he tells us that is because the ancients believe that when someone died, their spirit would actually just rise right above their bodies 
and would actually hover around that body for three days trying to find a way to get back in the body. In fact, this is the way they explained uh, the mistaken buried alive scenarios that often happened. But what happened on the fourth day is that the body would end up decaying and then that spirit would depart and leave. So what John is trying to tell us is that Lazarus isn't just mostly dead. Lazarus is dead, dead. He is fully dead in this story. And the reason he tells us that is every other story that Jesus, uh, when, in which Jesus, not the only story in which Jesus raised someone from the dead, but every other story in which Jesus raises someone from the dead, they were freshly dead. They had just died, but Lazarus was different. And the point John is trying to make is this, that there was no other way around the fact that only God could have done this. Only God could have brought Lazarus back from the dead. You see, Jesus felt the, the sting of uh, the sting and the pain of death, but it did not have victory in this day because only God himself could have victory over death. Only God could bring life out of death. You see, when Adam and Eve first fell in that garden, it introduced two kinds of death into the world that we now live in. It introduced a physical death, and we all know that at some point our physical bodies will pass away. But due to sin, each one of us experiences another death as well. It is a spiritual death. Because the scriptures tell us that in sin, we are dead in our trespasses. We are spiritually dead before God. But what the gospel tells us is that when we experience Jesus in a saving way, when we experience Jesus, he cries into our souls just as he cried out to Lazarus that day. He speaks into our dead souls and he brings them to life. You see, no one can escape the physical death uh, that, that we all have at some point to face in our lives. But if we know Christ, then our spirits have been made alive. And if that's true in Jesus, even our physical death loses its finality. We recognize that far greater things are in store for us than the things even that we've experienced in this world. We realize, as one author put, that eternal life and rescue from the finality of death are not merely gifts obtained by appeal to God. They are aspects of what it means to live a life in association with Jesus. But the gospel story tells us that even this eternal life that is made available to us in Jesus, even this eternal life did not come without a cost. And that's really the last thing that we see in our narrative here this morning, that this miracle did not come without an intense cost. See, there's this really interesting discussion that Jesus has with his followers in verses 7 to 16 before they go on to, to see Lazarus. 
You see, this is getting towards the very end of Jesus' ministry. And the black clouds of hostility are really gathering. They're really beginning to roll in. The night is, is, about, to approach, is about to approach for Jesus' life. And his disciples are beginning to realize this. And they know that for them to go see Lazarus was more like a suicide mission for Jesus and probably for them as well. You see, Lazarus's home was, was dangerously close to Jerusalem where the greatest hostility at this moment is present for Jesus. And the narrative tells us that there were many Jews that watched Jesus perform this miracle of bringing Lazarus back from the dead. And if you keep reading in John chapter 11, it says that the Jews who saw this went back and reported to the other Jews in Jerusalem. And this was the event that ended up tipping the scales. It says in verse 53, So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. You see, Jesus understood this profoundly, maybe more than anybody else. He knew that bringing Lazarus to life at this moment and in this town and at this time would eventually mean his very own death. You know, the reality is that you and I may not be able to escape physical death, but there is a way for us to escape spiritual death. There is a way for you and I to experience eternal life. There is a way to avoid the spiritual death that we all deserve. But for that way to be opened, Jesus had to die. He who was fully man and fully God had to freely offer himself on our behalf. He who demonstrated that he had victory over death allowed death to defeat him. Because on the cross, he not only suffered physical death, but also spiritual death when his father turned his back on him because of the sin that he bore. You see, Jesus suffered physical and spiritual death so that you and I would only have to ever experience physical death. But he even recasts the the pain of physical death, taking away its finality and recasting it as a gateway into eternal bliss. As we've seen throughout the narrative, John is really passionate about helping us to see the responses that all those around Jesus had to these miracles that Jesus performed. And no response, perhaps, was better than the response of Mary in our story. Jesus tells Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. But then he says to her what may be the most profound question, and that is, do you believe this? And Mary looks at Jesus and she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. Do you believe this? Do you believe believe that, that Jesus was the Christ, that he was fully man and fully God, that he was the one who gave up his life so that you could experience it? 
If so, receive this profound gift of grace that comes to you in the gospel and listen to his voice as it calls to your spirit to come alive. When I was uh, in college, there was a really popular movie that was out that was called Four Weddings and a Funeral. I never saw it complete to finish, so I can't recommend it. But what's interesting about, I thought about that this week because two weeks ago, we looked at, at Jesus at a wedding and a miracle that he performed at a wedding. And this week, we've looked at a miracle that he performed at a funeral. But you know what's interesting about both of them? In both miracles, everyone who experienced it, everyone who was there, walked away celebrating. You see, following Jesus doesn't mean this kind of passionless, stoic life. Following Jesus means being brought to life and invited to the celebration.